Lord. Amen. It's good to see everyone here tonight. Let's all stand. We have a prayer request. Uh, Carol, uh, we all know Carol, Bob's friend, uh, she needs a healing from cancer. It, uh, it's a different area, uh, but she needs a healing. Amen. There are other people that we're praying for tonight, other requests that have been made. Let's remember as many of those as you can. Amen. And for our service tonight, that God would meet every need, that God would minister here according to His will. Amen. That's what we want to see, that God's will be accomplished in this place. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I am so thankful for Your so great salvation. Thank You, Jesus, for the manifestation of Your presence already here in this place. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name for Carol that you would meet this need right now. We take authority over sickness and disease and infirmity right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I speak specifically to the cancer according to the power and according to the authority that you've given me as a child of the Most High God. I curse it. I command it to die in Jesus' name. And I command perfect healing to take place. Infuse her body right now with strength and with life and with vigor in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus. And for the other healings we've been praying for, Lord Jesus, collectively, individually, we take authority over sickness right now, disease, infirmity. In the name of Jesus Christ, we command healing to take place in each and every one of these, and we give You all the glory, and we give You all the honor. We have no power in and of ourselves to do anything, any such thing. But Lord Jesus, You have all power, You have all authority. Thank You, Jesus, for taking stripes on Your back, for purchasing our healing for us. Hallelujah, Jesus. For our service tonight, Lord, that you would meet with each of us, that you would minister unto us according to our individual and corporate needs. Above all else, thou most high God, that your great and mighty name would be glorified in this place. Let the word of the Lord go forth according to your perfect will. Let it accomplish that which you please. Let it prosper in the thing whereto you send it. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give glory and honor unto the most high God. We worship and we praise the creator of this universe, the creator of all things. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are worshipped and you are praised in this place. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity you've given us tonight. These things we ask in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We serve an awesome God. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight. Amen. Our uh, scripture text is going to be taken tonight out of 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Very recently, uh, the time period before this was the time of the judges. Amen. And we all know about the time period of the judges, the 400 year roller coaster where they would serve God, get slack in their service, backslide. God would send an enemy to capture them and to rule over them for the purpose of causing them to repent and to return to the Lord their God, which they did over and over and over and over and over again. Amen. We pick up that tale in chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. 
And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh unto us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten. And they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter. For there fell of Israel thirty thousand footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. Amen. So here we see an account. Uh, as we enter this account, they are in bondage once again to the nation of Philistia. The Philistines had the rule over them. Philistines were not, by any stretch of the imagination, friendly to the nation of Israel. Quite the opposite. And Israel had got it in their hearts that enough was enough. And they were going to throw off the yoke of oppression. But they tried it in their own strength. They tried it in their own power. They did not seek the Lord. They didn't seek His prophet. They didn't do any such thing. They were just fed up and wanted out. It failed. As these things do. You've tried to affect any spiritual change in your own power and in your own strength. You've probably experienced the same thing. They should have repented first, at the very least. They should have gotten right with God. That seems like an important first step. They had 400 years to perfect this process, after all. They understood what was going on. They should have gotten right with God, allowed God to transform them before they tried this. Well, they were defeated and they lost 4,000 men for their trouble. Some might stop to think, well, maybe they weren't motivated enough. Maybe they didn't have a big enough want to. Maybe they needed a different strategy. We almost got it that time. I think if we just tweak it, we got this. Maybe the strategy was wrong. They could have hired help from other nations. We see that happen all the time in the book. Kings of Israel, kings of Judah, later on in history, rather than seek the Lord their God, they get help from someone else. None of those were the reasons for their defeat, though. We all know that. There was sin. 
The reason for their defeat was they were living in sin. They were living in rebellion against God. Their actions were simply a result of who they were. They were rebels at heart. So rebellion is is how they lived. They couldn't help themselves. That's who they were. Rebels. Their captivity was a result of sin in their lives. Only by changing who they were, only by adopting the identity of God's covenant people once again, could they ever hope to be delivered. After their defeat, the leaders got together and asked a very ridiculous question. Wherefore has the Lord smitten us this day? It's possible they truly didn't know. They were so backwards. They were so so out of touch with truth that they truly wondered. Where is God? We have all these promises. One will put a thousand to flight. Where's the where's God? Ah. That's what we need. We need God's presence here. When God's presence is here, things are going to be great. So they went and they fetched the ark out of Shiloh. That when it comes, it will save us. Did you hear that phraseology? Did you hear how they put that? When it comes, it will save us. No mention, probably no desire for God to actually be here. All we need is the ark. All we need is the shell, the the piece of wood. That's all we want. That's all we need. They had no leave from God, no permission to remove the ark from its resting place in Shiloh. God wasn't sought for anything still. They just went and grabbed it and brought it over here. How many times have we wanted God to come to where we're at and bless our stuff? Isn't it rather supposed to be the other way around? Aren't we supposed to be the ones pursuing after God? Seeking His direction and His will. We're not forcing God to come to our work. And bless it. Well, the ark may have moved, but God didn't move with it. God was nowhere around that day. They had substituted an idol for God. The ark had become an idol that their faith was in, that their trust was in, that their confidence was in. God had nothing to do with it. That's what they worshipped in their hearts. That's what they sought after. That's what they desired. Why? Why were they seeking the ark at this point? Well, they wanted deliverance from their oppressors, right? That was the idea. That was the, that was the goal. That's why we're fighting the Philistines. It's so we could be free again. They wanted freedom, but they wanted freedom 
without commitment. They wanted freedom without cost. We see that throughout the book of Judges. They wanted to live the way they wanted to live. And only when it got so hard to live that way that they had to do something else did they turn to the Lord. And as soon as deliverance came, figuratively speaking, more or less, as soon as that judge that delivered them died, they went right back at it again. It got so bad that at one point the Lord said, No. You want deliverance? You pray to the gods that you desire to serve. The ones that you love to burn incense to. The ones that you love to sacrifice to. You pray to them. See if they'll deliver you. They didn't want to change their lifestyle. They didn't want to submit themselves to God's law. They just wanted the bennies, the benefits. That's all they wanted here. Deliverance. They shouted when the ark appeared. Carnal men get worked up and excited when the ark shows up. We don't have an ark of the covenant of the Lord today, but we do have arks in our lives, don't we? For example, what if I announced that Brother Lee Stone King is going to be preaching next Sunday? What if I announced that? Boy, people would get excited. Faith would rise. People be telling other people, hey, release okay. Oh, you got to hear this guy. This guy's great. That's an ark, folks. That's an ark. Who cares who's preaching up here as long as God is here? If our faith rises only when the big name preacher comes up, we got a problem. Our faith could rise just as easily. With anybody. Because God is here. God is the one that works through the individual, yes. God is the one that speaks through them, yes. God is the one that provides the message, yes. It's God moving in the congregation when the preaching is taking place, yes. It's irrelevant who's up here. But not to us. We get excited when, when Brother Mangan's coming up to preach. When... T.F. Tenney's coming. T.W. Barnes were, were coming up here. See? We get excited. <laughs> but you wouldn't be excited because of that. You'd be excited because God did something awesome. Amen. <clears throat> yeah, that would be exciting. G.A. Mangan, same thing. <laughs> That'd be awesome. But that's an ark, folks. We can start worshiping the ark when our faith rests in answered prayer instead of God's and in His promises. If I only trust God when He comes through, when I see it with my eyes, that's not really a very strong faith. My faith isn't based on what I see and feel and experience. It's based in the Word of God. It's based in, the, in Scripture. 
We can start worshiping an ark when we see signs and wonders and miracles and we start seeking them instead of seeking the God who performs them. Matthew seven twenty one through 23 says this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There's all kinds of things we could unpack here, but time for this. Signs and wonders do not indicate the favor of God in my life, in your ministry. It doesn't indicate His favor. He will respond to faith. He responds to the Word of God. You better believe He does. Spiritual men get excited when God shows up. And women. When does God show up? What does that even mean? When we say, we had a great move of God today. What does that mean? If I told that to someone on the street, what, what kind of picture would be in their mind? Had a great move of God today. God showed up. What do we mean when we say that? And if it doesn't happen, whose responsibility is that? It's our responsibility. All of us. You know, when I first came into church, I've told you this before, I'll continue to say it till Jesus takes me home because I'm so thankful it happened. My very first church service, I walked in through the, the front door and I felt what I've never felt before. I felt the presence of God. I didn't know what it was, but I knew this is what I was seeking. I was in His presence, church. I felt His presence. Why? Because I was holy? I was a rank sinner. I'm not going to tell you what I was into at the time, but I was a sinner. You can feel the presence of God living in sin, folks. Me getting up here juking and jiving and feeling just overwhelmed with the presence of God, that's fantastic. That's great. I love it. You love it. But that, again, doesn't indicate God's favor in my life. I'm not seeking that. We can't be seeking after those things. And if I don't feel that, well, then God doesn't love me anymore and I'm walking out of here. People do that. I, have no, I do know why they do it. They got this wrong idea. This wrong notion that that, that indicates favor. And, and when God, for whatever reason, pulls that away for a time, that that indicates His disfavor. Maybe He's just wanting me to see if Wanting to see if I'm serving Him for that? The loaves and the fishes? Or do I really love Him? Do I love Him? Not just His blessings. Not just His gifts. Folks, we've got to seek Him. We've got to have a relationship with Him. No matter what. 
I can't be seeking after these things when I seek after God and when I'm found of Him. All of those other things, they're going to be there. I promise you that. The Word of God promises us that. They're going to be there. If you're walking with God and you're seeking Him daily, He's going to confirm His Word through you with signs following. There's no question about that. That's the promise of God. We don't have to, we, we don't have to fret and worry and stew and, oh, we need the miracles, we need the miracles, Lord, we need the miracles. We don't need to do it. It's okay if you do that, I suppose, but I think it would be much more effectual if we just seek the God of the miracles and let Him work those through us according to His will. Exodus 20, verses 2-6 through states this, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, nor any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Anything can be an idol, folks. Anything, we can allow anything in our life to supersede or to replace God. We're not talking about Baal. We're not talking about uh, Moloch. We're not talking about these idols. You know that. Anything that I value more in my life than God. Well, I value Jesus above everything else. Yeah, those are the words coming out of my mouth. But how am I spending my money? How am I spending my time? What are my actions saying? More often than not, my actions contradict what I say. When I say I love Jesus more than anything else. Matthew 22, 37 and 38 says, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Everything comes when we seek God first in our lives. Everything else that we need, everything else that we desire in our heart of hearts, everything that we seek God for comes naturally, comes holistically, organically when we seek God first. When we put Him first in our lives, no matter what, that comes when we seek God first. Amen. This is going to seem like whiplash. But I think the Lord will be able to tie this together at the end. I want to talk a little bit about Asbury. I think that's how you pronounce it. We always seek to understand what God is doing. We need to understand. We want precedence for it. We don't have precedence for it. Well, then we're just not sure. We just don't understand. We're apostolic, right? We're people of the book. If it's not according to the pattern of the book, then it can't be right. It can't be good. Here's some patterns we find in the Bible. 
You can tell me if we need to follow these or not. Numbers 20, 7 through 11 says this. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock. Speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. Thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give them, give the congregation and their beasts drink. Moses took the rod from before the, the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rods he smote the rock twice. He disobeyed the commandment of the Lord. So God's not going to honor that. There's not going to be any water coming out of that rock. He disobeyed. And the water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Is the pattern that God's going to accomplish His will no matter what His vessel does? Should sin abound that grace doth much more abound? Here's another example. Number 6, 6-9, through nine, gives us uh, one of the qualifications of the Nazarite vow. All the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother, for his sister, when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. And if any man die very suddenly by him, he hath, and he hath defiled the head of his consecration, then he shall save his head in the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day shall he save it. Well, what do we see in Judges chapter 15? 15 and 16, he found, talking of Samson, a Nazarite from his birth, he found the jawbone of a donkey, a dead thing, and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I slain a thousand men. And after that, he didn't do anything. He went home. Wasn't even worried about cleansing or, or being unclean or anything like that. And God continued to use him. How about that? Doesn't matter how I live. God's just going to use me. Do we find that pattern in Scripture? Is that something we should subscribe to? Here's another pattern. Acts 4. 32-37 And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. Uh-oh. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Hmm. That's apostolic, church. We're apostolic, right? Amen. Let's get apostolic. Next week, you can bring all the money here. How about that? Get apostolic. 
No one thinks I'm serious. But why not? Why not? Are these patterns things that we should subscribe to? Should we be holding to these? Acts 2, 46 and 47 says this, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as could be saved. We've preached on that. It's scriptural. Right? It is. What about the verses before that, though? I don't hear a lot of preaching on those. Verse 44 and 45. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And then it goes, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, etc., etc. So what about that? Before we go any farther, and someone decides that they're wanting to hang me on a cross, before you do that, hear me out. Then afterward, if you still think it's necessary, uh, proceed. But uh, there are some things we find in Scripture, doctrinal things, things relating to foundational truth that are established. They are sure. They cannot be contradicted. Get him a, need a basket or something? He was wanting to put me on a cross. See what happened? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Too early. All right. Some things that we find in Scripture are sure. We cannot, we will not contradict them. The oneness of God, it is sure. We, that is established as fact. We believe that, we preach it, we teach it, we live by it. There are other things we find in Scripture that are, I'm not going to say guidelines, but the book of Acts is, is history. It details what happened in the first century church. Not everything they did is the commandment of the Lord. Okay? We find things in Scripture that are most certainly not the commandment of the Lord. We see, we see things happen in Scripture that are not the commandment of the Lord. Okay? This being one of them. Why don't we sell everything that we have and distribute? Why, why don't we do that? It's in the book. Should we follow the book or no? This is one example that I'm trying to, to get across here. Some things we find in the book of Acts are culturally relevant. 
Some things we find in the book of Acts are doctrinally true. We see Paul. Paul did different things with different people. We see Paul going to the synagogue. We find that in Scripture. Does every church need to have a synagogue ministry? Well, it's in the book. It's in the book of Acts. It's apostolic. Oh, maybe, maybe not. But I don't think that's the commandment of the Lord. They are following the commandments of the Lord. Right? But the act itself was not necessarily a commandment from God that applies to us today. There is a pattern that is laid out for us in Scripture that we need to follow. And they did follow it. But sometimes we focus on the methods and we need, to, we need to be more focused on the principles, the pattern that has been laid out for us. If you look at Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching to those that were present. Versus Acts chapter 17, Paul preaching to the Gentile Greeks. It's a very different message. Same message. Jesus died on, on the cross to save you from your sins. It was the gospel. But it was presented way differently. In other words, what works here might not work necessarily in other cultures. What works in other cultures might not necessarily work here. We're following the same pattern. We're preaching the same message. But methods are going to be different. And that's fine. Methods come and go. Programs come and go. There's no problem with that. We're not married to a, 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 a program. We're married to the pattern that's laid out to us. We're married to doctrine. That's what we're married to. The specific implementation of those patterns, those doctrines, they could be any number of things. Okay, now having said all that, is this Asbury revival of God? Well, I certainly believe so. I believe it's of God. I believe He's doing this to demonstrate some things to us. One thing I think He's trying to show us is that He's sovereign and He can do just exactly what He wants, when He wants, through who He wants. And that bothers some people. Sometimes that bothers me. I'll be honest with you. It confuses me sometimes. But, what can I say? Am I going to fight against God? I'm not going to fight against God. No. I'm just going to get in a prayer closet and I'm going to work it out. I'll get it worked out. We can't put God in any box. Now, if God is doing something contradictory to Scripture, well, then that's not God. That's something else. God's not going to contradict His Word. He will never contradict Scripture. He will never tell you anything that contradicts Scripture. 
Whenever you hear anything, when you see anything, you run it by Scripture. You run it through the Word of God. If it comports, fantastic. We can go further with it. If it doesn't comport, we can stop right there. Amen. In this case, as in Azusa Street, God is manifesting Himself in a place and drawing all men to Him. I find this fascinating, and here's why. As far as I can tell, this thing didn't start through their awesome outreach program. A year ago, if I'd have brought Asbury up, maybe my wife, maybe the DeMuth may have heard of it, being in Kentucky. I never heard of it before. I doubt anyone else would have. Now, all of a sudden, everyone knows about Asbury. Why is that? Because for some reason, God decided to manifest Himself there powerfully. And He's drawing people there. No one is going door-to-door promoting this. No one is going house-to-house bringing people into Asbury. That's not going on at all. And that's something else that can bother some people. People are hearing about this through media or word of mouth. And without prompting, without being asked or coerced into anything, they're deciding for themselves to come and check it out. Maybe one of the things God is trying to show us is that this is the best way to reach this culture. Or maybe He's going to use it as a springboard to show us what is the best way to reach this culture. Now, people are starting to carry this with them to other locations where the same thing is happening. The same thing. Is this pattern in the book of Acts? Initially, I was going to say, no, it's not. But it actually is. When Peter preached the very first sermon, this is exactly what happened. Everyone heard the commotion. Everyone heard the noise. And they started coming around. What does this mean? What's going on here? And the Lord added to the church that day. This led to the apostles and the church reaching out according to their culture. House to house, synagogues, etc. I believe with all my heart the same thing is going to happen with Asbury if we'll allow God to continue to operate according to His will. I believe that. If we will just let God loose and let Him do what He wants to do. Amen. Now we understand He's not going to do anything to contradict Scripture. And I feel like it's prudent and I feel like it's wise to keep checking that. I see nothing wrong with that. Some would say that's, a, that's the, the gift of suspicion. Yeah, trust but verify. The gipper. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. But if it comports again, folks, let's let God be God. Let's let Him do what He's going to do. But a word of warning. It can't be allowed to become an ark. 
We cannot allow this to become an ark in our lives. There are people, there are people in our organization. All they do is they, they jump from service to service, from conference to conference, from special event to special event, feeling the presence of God, enjoying the presence of God. Folks, that's not right. That's not healthy. That's not good. If that's all we're seeking. It's an ark. We need to be seeking God. We need to let God be God in our lives. We need to let Him be Lord. And He directs my steps. He tells me where I'm going to go and when. If He tells me to stay, then folks, I need to stay. I need to submit myself to someone. These people that that go all over the place, they don't have a pastor. And that means they have no protection. These experiences are great. Don't get me wrong. They're fantastic. They're wonderful. And they can lead to deeper experiences. That's exactly what the purpose is for them. They need to lead us somewhere. They need to lead us into truth. They need to lead us into a deeper relationship, into discipleship. I fear that, that some of the people that are they're going to Asbury, that are enjoying the presence of God, when it's eventually done, they're going to say, that was a great experience. Looking forward to the next one. And then that's it. Back to life as normal. Talking about the good old days when we had that revival that one time. Oh, folks, like salvation, that's just the beginning of something awesome. They got to lead somewhere, they got to lead into a relationship with God, a place of transformation, a place of truth. Asbury's eventually going to come here. It's going to come here, folks, and I'm not, I'm not saying that to bolster your faith. I'm not saying that to uh, hoping and praying. It's going to happen. Something else God is demonstrating is that the revival that has been prophesied, the revival that everyone's been preaching about, is here. It's the tip of the iceberg, but I think it's here. And it's going to come here. And when it comes here, now you can believe it or not, I, well, I could, I could care less. I couldn't care less than that. It's not going to change my opinion. It's not going to change how I see things. Something else this is showing us is we don't really need to fret and stew and worry about people receiving salvation. Salvation is easy for God. Overseas, He can save thousands of people, ten thousands of people in one service. The hard part, the difficult part, is the discipleship. Discipleship. That's the hard part. And I've been saying this since I arrived here. God is sending a massive revival. People are going to be pouring into this church. But when it comes, are we going to be ready to receive them? Can we receive a hundred soul revival in this church? 
We need to disciple those people. Because I'll tell you what, and I might be wrong in saying this, I don't believe I am. I'd rather see no one be saved than a hundred people saved and then they walk right out the door again. This is supposed to be a soul-saving station, not an abortion clinic. We don't birth babies just to see them die. If that's all we're going to do, then we're going we're to hold off on it until we're ready to, to raise children. If I'm a parent, I just start pumping babies out and do nothing with them. Don't raise them. Don't care for them. What kind of parent is that? Churches do that all the time. And I hate it. I believe God hates it. He is trusting us with children. If He is trusting us with children, then we need to, we need to live up to that. We need to demonstrate our worthiness, if I can say it that way, in discipling the children that He gives us. Amen. <clears throat> People need more than just salvation. We know that's necessary. It's absolutely necessary. But it's the first step. That's all that is. It's the very beginning. It's the birth. The new birth. They have a whole life to live after that. And not as a child. Not as a stunted I don't know. People need to grow up. When they're birthed, they need to grow. They need to mature. Amen. We won't be ready to disciple all the new converts this revival will bring until we become disciples ourselves. Every time, it's been a while since I've been on a plane uh, that has a steward of stewardess, but uh, when they give their little briefing thing, one of the things they say, when the masks drop, you put yours on first. You've got you to gotta make sure you're taken care of first. Otherwise, you're going to be in no position to help someone else. If i got all kinds of baggage in my life, i got all kinds of situations I'm still trying to work through, struggling to deal with. How am I going to help someone else? I'm not, on the other hand, I'm not saying we have to arrive before we can start helping anyone. We don't have to be perfect in the sight of God. Everything taken care of for us to be usable. I'm not saying that either. But what I am saying is this. I have got to have some things settled in my heart. I have got to have some commitments set up in my life. And when someone comes, to, when I bring someone alongside of me, discipling them, mentoring them, and letting them see me live, letting them see me, Jesus working through me, not just how I worship, not just how I pray, although those things are important too, but how I respond to difficult situations. How I respond when, I, when I, I'm tempted to fall into depression or despair. How do I respond then? 
I've got to show them how to respond then too. This works in that situation just as well as it works in the presence of God, powerful moves of God situation. They need to see that. They need to have that example to them. Seek God in all things. Seek Him for who He is. Not just what He can do or what He can accomplish in our lives. God didn't seek you because of all the things that you could do. He sought you because of who you are. You're His creation. You were created in His image, in His likeness. And He wants to move that forward. He wants to complete that in you. He wants you to look like Him. To think like Him. To speak like Him. Isn't that what we want? That's what I want. That's what God wants for us. Amen. So let's seek Jesus for who He is. Not because of the loaves and the fishes. Not because of what He can do. Let's not seek the experiences. Let's not seek the signs and wonders. Let's not seek the miracles. Let's not even seek a powerful presence and move of God. Let's just seek Him. Seek His face. Daily, seek His face. All of those other things are going to be added. And if they're not added, great, fantastic. I don't care anymore. It's not what I'm after. I'm after Jesus. I'm after a relationship with Him. That's what I'm after. That's what's going to establish me. That's what's going to get me through the tough times is a close walk with Him. That's what's going to get someone else through a tough time, is my close walk with Him. Amen. I'm excited about Asbury. I'm excited about all the events, all the things that are transpiring. Maybe not as excited as some people are. I'm excited in that I see God beginning to do something new, something fresh, something exciting. And I love it when God does that. But on the other hand, this is still nothing for God. Folks, God can do even greater. He can do so much greater than this. Can we believe Him for that? Can we trust Him for that? This could be just the very tip of a beginning of something God is really wanting to do. We don't know. But He certainly can if He wanted to. Now something else I I didn't mention, I I was going to and I skipped over it. What, what, What is God responding to here? Why Asbury? Faith? Hunger? Submission? All the above? What does God normally respond to? Yeah, He responds to those things. I can sit and beg and plead all day long. 
He doesn't necessarily respond to my begging and pleading. But if I'll make a commitment to Him, if I'll make myself available to Him, if I'll put my hope and my trust and confidence in Him, if I worship Him, if I love Him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, He's going to respond to those things. When I seek Him with all my heart, we'll be found of Him. can't remember the psalm, but David said, When thou saidst, Seek my face, thy face, Lord, will I seek. I think that's so beautiful that God would ask me. God would ask me to come seek me. I can't, I can't explain what that does to me. What it does to us, to you, when you consider that the God of the universe, the God, He's infinite. He's the infinite God. He knows who I am. He's, he knows me by name. And He bids me come. It's not just a reluctant permission to come in. It's an invitation to come in. An active desire that He has for us to enter into His presence. To seek Him daily. To build a relationship with Him. That's amazing to me. That will never stop blowing my mind. It's so awesome. It's so awesome. But God responds to those things. Do they have all the truth? No. Say yes or no, folks. Maybe there are some people there that do. But as a college, they don't teach the whole truth. God's still moving there. People receive the Holy Ghost in Catholic services. In Lutheran services. How is that even possible? Because God. That's why. He responds to certain things. And when He sees those present, it doesn't matter where you're at. He's going to move there. He's going to do something there. So if we want a move of God, folks, how do we get it? Brother DeMuth said last time, I think it's true. Some of us may be waiting on God. God's waiting on us. God's ready, folks. He's been ready. I don't know what he needed to get ready, but he's ready. All he needs is someone to step up and say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Use me. Work through me. And once again, we're back down to choice, aren't we? Some of us are one choice away. One choice away, folks, being used mightily of God for enabling God to move into a situation, to move into your life and rework everything for His glory. Can God do that? You read Ezekiel, He resurrected the dry bones. 
knit them all together, breathed life into them, and had a standing walking army. God can do anything He needs to do in your situation. I don't care how desperate it is. He can rework everything. He makes all things new. He makes all things new. Praise God. Amen. God is so good to us. Let's stand.